Hello, and welcome to the What's Next podcast. My name is Liz Smith, owner of Liz Smith Law, and on this show, I share conversations to investigate building and leaving your legacy, estate planning for young families, supporting aging loved ones and parents, and other topics around aging, death, and other life transitions that will affect each of us. This is your source for hard-to-find resources in Southeast Alaska and beyond. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get each and every episode of our show. Hi, and welcome to my interview with Heidi Young. Before we got into the nuts and bolts of the interview and before my introduction of Heidi, she shared some interesting snippets that I wanted to share with you. So here are some teasers at the beginning from Heidi, care coordinator in Catch Can, and you will hear more about her bio and some great information coming up, but enjoy these teasers. I think that's great. I think that's great. I, I think myself personally, I really consider myself a community resource and I want everybody at my agency to feel the same way. Like, you know, when I approach, um, you know, my later years, I want to know every single option that's out there. So that's what I try to provide for families is, you know, here are the options that you have for care. And, um, so that you can make the most informed decision. And that's really what I feel like a good care coordinator will do for families is, you know, provide them with different levels of, you know, what's available out there, help them get access to the services that exist, but for whatever reason, they might not be easy to obtain. I mean, I think sometimes in this line of work, people don't think about estate planning or future planning or what resources are available in their community until, I don't want to say almost until it's too late, but almost until, oh my gosh, my mom's had a stroke. Now I have to quit my job to take care of her full time. What does that look like? What resources are out there? How long does that take to put into effect? Do I have a good enough, you know, uh, plan, game plan to be able to wait that out until state services can start? So people don't realize that getting state services, if you have all your ducks in a row, you have all the paperwork you need, you have all of your, um, you know, documents established still takes three to six months based on the state's timelines. Mm -hmm. So that's three to six months that you're potentially working from home or you don't have any income because you're taking care of a loved one. So I think, you know, a good lead in is, you know, what is your plan to take care of family members if something catastrophic were to happen tomorrow? And to have people start thinking that way so that they know, okay, I probably should have a power of attorney. I probably should have an advanced health care directive. I probably should be aware of, you know, what resources or be acknowledgeable of what resources are in my community so that I could access them in the event that I need to. So I think it's just being about being, it's about being prepared. Hi, and welcome to What's Next. With me as my guest today is Heidi Young. Heidi is the owner and operator of Island Care Services, LLC, along with her husband, Josh Hills, who is also a care coordinator. Island Care Services, LLC, employs three additional support staff and is proud to serve all of Southeast Alaska, along with several other areas of Alaska. Island Care Services is dedicated to helping individuals reach healthy independence. Heidi is dedicated to providing individualized services for clients that require a professional to help them navigate their health care needs. Heidi has lived on Prince of Wales Island for 15 years, although she grew up working summers for her aunt and uncle's lodge in Sea Otter Sound 
and attended school in Port Alice. She values and enjoys uh, taking the time to listen to people and to help come up with creative solutions to keep people in their home communities. She especially likes to listen to the stories told by elders and to help assist others to live more fulfilled lives. She says, I think my most memorable contribution is taking time to help others who may not be able to help themselves. Heidi loves to spend time outdoors with her five children, her husband, and their herd of golden retrievers. They love to hunt, fish, and hike. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you. How many golden retrievers do you have? Oh, I don't want to answer. No, we have five total. So we had a pair of golden retrievers and we had puppies and then we had five kids. So when you let the oldest child get a dog, it sets up, it sets you up for the future because then every other child wants a dog. So yes. All right. They're amazing. I call them the golden girls. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to have you on. And for our listeners, I wanted to first well, let me just be honest, and I don't quite know where to take this conversation. Heidi's going to direct us and guide us through our conversation to help listeners and how to navigate long, it comes down to navigating long-term care in Alaska. But I want, before I, I dive in, Heidi, and ask you to explain what you do and then uh, talk about some other additional resources I think part of where I come in, in terms of my struggle, is that I spent about four and a half years working for, well, I was working for Department of Law, um, but my client was Senior and Disability Services, which is a division within Health and Social Services, and it is the division that determines who is eligible for the state Medicaid waivers and personal care services. So my definition, and I'll let you uh, give us yours as well, Heidi, but how I used to describe that to people is that for Medicaid recipients, um, personal care services provide someone to come into your home and help you with certain activities of daily living, for example, if you need help uh, toileting, walking or locomotion, as we called it, bathing, things like that, as well as if you need help cleaning, we call it instrumental activities of daily living, cleaning, shopping, some of those kind of side, side activities. And then Medicaid waivers are for individuals who would otherwise be in some type of institution, the most common being nursing facility level of care. So someone in a nursing home. And this may be my problem, Heidi, is that I could go on and on and on, I realize, because I know this world so well in a really, really boring way that helps my clients who are now navigating Medicaid, but I don't think it's going to be very interesting to the public. So I'm going to stop talking and uh, start by asking you, Heidi, how do you describe, let's start by how do you describe what you do as a care coordinator? That's a great question. Um, I am a care coordinator and I've been a care coordinator in the state of Alaska for 14 years now. And I really consider myself and my whole company as a community resource. We're here to provide options for people as to what their care, uh, you know, what care options are available for them. Um, we help people on all five waivers in the state of Alaska. So there's the Alaskans Living Independently, or ALI waiver. There's the Adults with Physical and Developmental Disabilities, or APDD waiver. 
There's the IDD waiver, which is individuals with uh, developmental disabilities. There's the CCMC waiver, which is the Children with Complex Medical Conditions waiver. And there's a new waiver called the ISW waiver, which is the Individual Services waiver, which replaced the um, developmental disabilities mini grant that used to be administered by the state of Alaska. I, we also do TEFRA care coordination, which used to be called Katie Beckett Medicaid, which is uh, provides Medicaid for families with um, critically ill children, regardless of the family's income. So we do a lot of good and we provide a lot of information for families. Um, our biggest passion is to keep people in their home communities. I hate the idea of going into a village and having to tell somebody that was born in a village and has lived there their whole life that now they have to go move to Anchorage to get the level of care services that they need. So I'm very passionate about keeping people in their home communities and whether we do that by creative thinking or getting them on a Medicaid waiver where they can have um, somebody in the community provide services through a service agency to keep them in their own homes. You're absolutely right that the Medicaid waiver, um, the criteria for it is pretty strict and they have to meet the nursing facility level of care eligibility. They have to need extensive assistance in three out of the five areas that you mentioned previously. Um, and, and, you know, basically, I get a lot of people who are like, I've applied for Medicaid, I'm not going to qualify. Um, and the truth is, is that the Medicaid waiver has a much higher income limit um, than regular Medicaid. So people can apply and they can qualify. Um, it also pays for stays in assisted living homes like the Pioneer Home, um, it pays the majority of the care there. The client still has to pay room and board. Um, there's also a lot of different assisted living homes across the state that it helps pay for and, and group homes as well. Um, I want to so dive in a little. Go ahead. Um, I was just thinking that it might be helpful for some, some background. If I'm not mistaken, the term waiver comes from um, the fuller term home and community based waiver services, which is a, a federal centers for Medic um, CMS, yes. CMS, yeah. Medicaid services, is that right? Yes. Okay. Centers for Medicaid Services, CMS. It comes from their directive to say, okay, states, you can actually you can have money to have resources to keep people in their home community, like you were talking about, Heidi rather than go to a full care facility. But as you said, it can also cover some types of assisted living for group home. Correct, yep. And basically the, the state of Alaska, I always tell people it's, if, you have, if you are applying for the waiver, you have to fill both hands. One hand is DPA and all of the Medicaid forms that go along with that. And then the other is senior and disability services who makes the decision on whether you qualify medically. So you have to meet criteria financially as well as, medi as medically. Um, and CMS is Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Sorry, I left that part out. But um, so the other thing that I was gonna say is that, um, you know, it's very much person-centered, the whole process of applying for a waiver. And I could go through it step-by-step step if that would be helpful. But basically, it's, it's all about person-centered planning. So what is the best solution for this individual? What are the best options available for their care? Um, and, you know, I, I wish more Alaskans would kind of get more proactive about learning what their options are, because I see a lot of families 
who are calling me, you know, when they have a loved one that's in the hospital that's had a stroke and now they have to quit their job to care for this person or that somebody's been diagnosed with cancer and um, they really need a lot more hands-on care. And, you know, people are never prepared for a crisis, but I think there are steps that people can take to become um, more aware of what resources are available and also just better prepared in general. As we age, obviously we're going to have more health problems and more health issues. And it really is um, our personal responsibility to have things like an advanced directive in place um, to know, you know, what our medical wishes are if something catastrophic does happen. Um, there's just, there's a lot of resources out there and um, we're happy to answer any questions that people might have about it, but I'm happy to go through the uh, uh, applying for a waiver um, steps if that would be helpful. I think that would be great. Um, before we do that, if someone's listening and they're not on Medicaid now and may think, well, never, well, and people may, you, you mentioned already, there's a financial qualification. So people may have heard of a very low resource limit that's somewhat higher with Medicaid waiver, um, as you've already stated. But just for who do you think it's helpful to who listening maybe should tune in <laughs> and keep listening because maybe you will um, need a waiver later or maybe a family member would. I'm not asking this question well at all, but. I understand exactly what you're asking. And really, I think that everyone should be aware of the Medicaid process because unless you are uber, uber wealthy, nobody in this state has enough money to pay full price for the long-term care costs. So if you have a family member that goes to the pioneer home and let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, that's going to be gone in about 10 months. So at that point, once the family spends down their money, then they would be eligible for a Medicaid waiver. If they're over income, they can set up a Miller's trust with the assistance of somebody like yourself, an attorney that basically is an account that gets set up so that the money that they make that would would disqualify them for Medicaid goes into this trust account and can only be used for certain things. When the person passes away, the trust reverts back to the state of Alaska. All right, thank you. And yes, I do the, the income waivers and then also there's some other planning tools. So as we go through this and you think, oh, maybe someday I would need this type of assistance, I can help with different qualifying. Um, okay, so steps of applying for a waiver. Oh, yes, I'm happy to. Um, the first thing I tell people is to gather up all your documents, um, gather all your financial bank statement information, your insurance information, and your power of attorney documents. If you don't have a power of attorney, you should have one because if you were to become incapacitated, you need someone to help you make decisions. Um, and then you call your local ADRC, which is the Alaska Disability uh, Resource Center, um, and the Aging and Disability Resource Center, excuse me, and you complete a phone interview. You specifically say that you need to apply for the waiver, and then they will give you a list of care coordinators to choose from. Um, I always tell people it's a good idea to call the care coordinator and do like a brief interview to find out of one that's going to be a good match for you. Um, I like people to ask how busy are they um, and kind of if you can tell if they're not responsive to your calls or texts they might be too busy to take on another person on their caseload I also think it's helpful to know 
what their background is and what what waivers they specialize in and if they're super passionate due to personal experience with one waiver type or another. Sorry, did you have a question? Well, yeah, I just wanted to, so ADRC is required call to apply for a waiver, right? That's not an option. It's it's a resource center, but it's part a step in the process. Yes, it's a, it's a required step. The state will not accept the waiver application without that paperwork from the ADRC, but it generally takes about 10 or 15 minutes to complete the whole phone call and the screening um, interview that they do. So after you select a care coordinator and you- well, Let me stop you again, because that's super weird to me too, is that you're actually required to have a care coordinator. And so tell us, Heidi, you talked some about what you do, but why is someone required to have a care coordinator? Because you don't work for the state. You're applying for, this person's applying for a state benefit. But uh, right. Well, our role is that we walk families through getting all of their documentation in order and getting all them. So we complete, we fill up those two hands. We get help them get all their financial documents to complete the DPA application. And then we help them get all of their medical documentation together and really help them justify the need for the services. That's what a care coordinator does. Then once a person gets accepted onto the waiver, we write the plan of care, meet with all this, you know, let the client know of all the service providers that provide services in that community. And then we also do um, monthly check-in calls twice a month to clients. We used to do in-person visits every month, but because of COVID, we're not doing those currently, but we're still doing them on the phone or over Zoom. And that is to ensure that the person gets the services that they need down the road and they're continuing to get what they need. Um, care coordinators also help clients get um, grants or um, you know, if they need a specific type of equipment maybe that's not covered by Medicare or Medicaid, we've, we've written several grants for people to get them the items that, they're need, that they need that are not covered by Medicare or Medicaid. So that's another role of a care coordinator, but mainly just to ensure that the person gets what they need not, you know, and, and it's also, we also help them work through the steps of the process. Um, we don't get any type of compensation from Medicaid until the person qualifies for the Medicaid waiver. So sometimes we, a lot of times, actually, a client may or may not qualify. If they don't qualify, then we help walk the client through the appeals process and end up going to the Department of Law and having a fair hearing. So, um, and we do all that for free. So it's, um, it's not something you become because you're going to be a millionaire. You do it because you're helping people in your community get the services that they need that they wouldn't be able to access if it weren't for care coordinators. And that, folks, is what I used to do is representing the state in those fair hearings. Um, and But also just to emphasize, Heidi, you mentioned helping someone apply, but then also ongoing, there's an ongoing relationship. So if you're going through this process and you're choosing a care coordinator, it's important, and I want to talk more later after we go through the process, but it is important to choose someone that you want to work with. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And you have that choice. It's important to know that you have that choice, that if, you know, you get you get someone and and down the road, let's say I'm not their cup of tea, they are totally welcome. And it's my job to help them find a new care coordinator and, and then do the transfer paperwork and send the case file over so that they can pick up and have a seamless transition. All right. So you help them apply and then mm -hmm. step after. So 
So after you've selected a care coordinator, sorry, I don't know if this would be a segue point. After you've collect, selected a care coordinator, uh, your care coordinator will no doubt have a bunch of intake paperwork for you to complete um, that will help them to gather the necessary medical documents to help create the strongest application for you to get the services. Um, another point of that is that you'll have to fill out the Medicaid um, application for Medicaid. It's not the regular Medicaid application. A lot of people are confused by that, but you have to complete a Med4 application. And it's specifically for long-term care Medicaid. And then once the Medicaid Med4 application gets submitted to the state, they generally call you within 10 to 12 days to set up that phone interview. They're pretty fast lately. Um, and they will give you, they'll notify you in the mail of your um, appointment for your interview. And um, don't miss the interview because it's really hard to get a hold of anybody there at the DPA office and it's really hard to get rescheduled. And that interview, yep. is the money side, that's to see if you qualify financially. Is that yes. right? Yeah. Yes. And there is a list of items that you will need to have because once they complete that interview, they will want your last three months worth of bank statements for all of your bank accounts, um, any information on tribal benefits you might receive, um, any documentation about any assets that you own. Um, they're very, um, very detailed on what they would like. And they will let you know after the interview, they'll send you a detailed letter and it's really important to work with your care coordinator and try to get all of that information gathered up and back to the state as soon as possible because you only have 30 days once from the date of the interview to submit all of the necessary documents for the to complete the financial piece for public assistance. And so do they actually so, ask about ask well let me ask first have you submitted any two part question have you already submitted some financial information before the phone interview and are they actually asking you to go through assets during it yes yes to both questions you would have submitted the medicaid um, med4 application which is the application for long term medicaid and they will go through that application meticulously and ask you questions about transfers what assets you have what assets you currently have um i advise people you know that if you have over $2000 in your account, you know, you need to pay bills, spend down and get below 2000 because that's an automatic disqualifier for Medicaid. Um, so the next thing is once that once Medicaid issues a screening coupon and says, yes, this person's a likely candidate for um, long term care, then the care coordinator will get the screening coupon and then we can submit our medical application. Um, which triggers the state of Alaska to schedule an assessment, which will be completed by a nurse over the over a Zoom platform, which has been challenging for some of our elderly folks. So I'm always happy to meet with people before that assessment gets scheduled and do a practice run through so they know how to use Zoom on their phones or, you know, encourage them to reach out to a younger relative that maybe could come over for the assessment and the assessment could be scheduled that way. But it takes about an hour and a half and they go through your medical history, but it's a very functionally based assessment. So they also will want to see the person stand up, um, how they transfer, how they, you know, their mobility issues that they might may have, and they'll want to hear what the person struggles with. Um, so after the assessment is completed, generally, um, within 30 days, the state will give you a response if you qualify or not. 
Um, if the person qualifies, um, then this, the care coordinator works with the person to develop a person-centered plan of care that is tailored to what the person's needs are within the confines of the program. So just because a person needs 24-7 care and they meet that level of care, it does not mean that the state is going to apply or is not going to approve 24 hours a day. Um, it just depends on the level of need that the person has as to the amount of hours that get approved on a weekly basis. Um, once we submit the plan of care, then the state generally gets it back within a couple of weeks. And um, in that planning process, I did forget to mention, the clients are presented with a list of service agencies in the communities where they live that provide those services. And they're encouraged to select an agency either through interviewing over the phone or um, you know, calling and checking to see if the agencies have any staff. We generally do that as care coordinators. Um, and then if the, if the agency is willing to accept the client, then they would become the provider agency in the plan. Um, then the state approves it and then the person um, would get services going and um, hopefully would be happy with those. But care coordinators can also intercede if there's an issue with the service delivery or they assign a staff person that just is not a good fit. We definitely help, you know, communicate that to, to um, agencies. And the other thing I tell people is, you know, it's really important at the end of the day to contact care coordinators because we document all of their injuries, falls, hospitalizations, things that help them have continue to have an application for the future. Um, and, and we're there to help, you know, so if they get some weird letters from the state um, that they can take screenshots and send them to us and we're there to help decipher the code. You talk some about specifically what services, what array of services might yes. be available to you, might be approved as part of your plan of care? Yes, that's a great question, Liz. Um, so clients are, they oftentimes get a combination of, like if you're an elderly client, let's say with some physical um, limitations, um, they, uh, they honestly usually get a combination of PCA, which is personal care services, which is now called CFC. It's changed the name, but basically that those services help a person, um, you know, with the activities of daily living, like bathing, dressing, toileting, mobility, locomotion. And they can also provide some limited services with the um, IADLs, things like shopping, um, instrumental activities of daily living, shopping, um, laundry, um, housekeeping, meal prep, those kind of things. So the waiver also provides respite, which is a break for the normal um, unpaid caregiver. So if you have you know, a daughter that's taking care of her mother and the daughter wants to you know, do something every week, could, those hours she can be respited and someone can come in and give her a break. That's what respite is. Um, clients can also receive services of a lifeline unit, which is a necklace or a watch that they wear. And then if they have a fall or if they need help, they can push a button and it summons, um, you know, help to come to their house. They also can qualify for rides through most of the local senior centers or other transportation agencies based on where they, where they live. It can provide meals on wheels to be delivered to the home to support them. Um, 
and it can provide environmental modifications. So if they need a ramp built or if they need a roll-in shower eventually, you know, anything to help them age in place. So that's kind of what the waiver for the ALI um, waiver application can provide. Now, if you're talking about- ALI being usually elderly. Older. Yes, Alaskans living independently, yes. And then um, if you're talking about, you know, as far as the DD complex services, they can have all of those same services I just mentioned. And then they can also have habilitative services, which are things like um, supported living, where if you're, you're, you're developmentally delayed and you need someone to come in and teach you life skills in your home and teach you um, how to meet your goals through working on objectives. That's what a habilitative goal means or habilitative services. So that's supported living and then also dayhab. Dayhab would be a goal that you want to work on out in the community. Maybe that looks like going to the grocery store and learning how to shop for yourself and do price comparisons and make sure you get the correct change. Um, that's what they have. And then also um, just getting out into your community more and becoming more involved. That currently is capped at 12 hours a week for the recipients who receive they have. Um, and then also services like in an assisted living home or a group home. So DD folks end up usually going into a group home environment if that's something that they want to do and, and the waiver would pay for that. Um, and the ALI clients would go into like an assisted living home. So in our state, in the state of Alaska, there's a lot of privately owned assisted living homes in the Anchorage area. But in most of Southeast, um, they are the, the pioneer homes are considered assisted living homes. And if for the hands-on care, so you need help with personal care services, what options does someone have to choose who is giving you that hands-on care? Um, you know, I think it's really, it's really about, at the end of the day, it's really about customer choice. It's all about customer choice. It should be somebody that they feel comfortable with. And it can be whatever age, that person can be hired on through whatever agency provides services in that area, but they have to provide a background check. I mean, they have to pass a background check and they have to be fingerprinted and approved by the state of Alaska to be a provider. But at the end of the day, you know, if you had a, a relative that wanted to become a paid care provider, um, that's a great way to create jobs in some of our rural communities is to help become an, a, you know, a care provider. And basically I find it a really fulfilling job and rewarding to work with our elders in their home communities. You can learn a lot. And uh, I know I did direct service for a long time. So I really miss that component of working, you know, one-on-one -on -one with the clients. I've heard, well, and experienced in my own family right now, I have two people in assisted living. Um, and they're just really short staffed. Are you seeing, is it challenging for someone in a rural area to find a provider? For it is very, it's very challenging on, to be honest, statewide. The, the state of Alaska has not um, effectively changed the rates for providers in 12 years. Um, other than beyond very small inflationary costs of care increases. And, and basically, per, you know, workers can find, you know, jobs at Walmart or Costco that pay more and they don't have to do any aspect of personal care. It's, it's really sad to me. I, I feel like there's not enough um, encouragement in our younger generation. And um, I understand that people need to be able to, to make a living wage. And currently the, 
the rate of reimbursement does not allow that to be the case. So while it can be a very um, emotionally and um, you know mentally satisfying, rewarding job, financially it's just not there. Um, and so yes, it makes it very hard statewide for for anybody to be um, really effectively completely serviced right now. Um, I do tell people though that if they know somebody and maybe the person made a mistake 10 or 15 years ago and, and had, you know, made, you know, got in trouble for drunk driving, say when they were 18, um, they still should have the person apply because the, the agencies can ask for variances where in some of the remote areas, there's not a lot of people to work. And if it's a family member and that's the only person that's going to be able to help grandma, the state will a lot of times, you know, look not overlook their background, but they will take that into consideration. But I want to dive into some more about care coordinators. Um, what type of training do care coordinators go through um, before serving in their role? Um, you know, that's a good question. I think really um, in the state you have to have, well, like I went to Gonzaga University and I have a degree in biology and I worked um, as a physical therapy aide for like 10 years while I was going to college and after to really, you know, you have to be able to be comfortable working one-on-one -on -one with people and to be able to provide information um, and, you know, have some experience in the medical field, I would say is helpful. Um, they do receive training through the state, but you have to have a four-year degree um, or a two-year degree with, you know, comparable experiences. And you have to work under a certified care coordinator for, I believe, two years before you can get certified yourself. So um, it's it's a lot of, uh, it's a strong learning curve towards learning all the different government programs and all the different forms that every um, program requires. So, but, and, and also, you know, I think just having that heart for service and wanting to um, advocate for people that maybe can't advocate for themselves. Definitely good advice, of course, but also earlier you were talking about the planning piece, and so I can't let your comment go without saying plan ahead. If you're older or your parents are and you may need long-term care period, regardless of assets, with some, yeah, talk, talk to an attorney who does. It's called elder law, which is sort of interesting, but the Medicaid planning piece, you want to look for an attorney that, that's practicing in elder law. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think, you know, 70% of the people that call our office, they call us when they're in crisis mode, because, you know, they've just gotten either the worst news of their life, or, you know, that something very traumatic has happened. So, and I would say 98% of the people that we work with are not well prepared, like they do not have any documentation in order. They're unaware of the cost of long term care, if you do a private pay contract. They're unaware of the resources in their community, um, which is weird to me because Alaska, for being as vast as it is, is, you know, really very small. Everybody knows everybody and everybody knows what everybody's doing. So um, it's, it's just interesting to me that there's not more information and not more of a push to help people get educated about these resources in their community because they are inevitable for everyone if you choose to stay in our state. So you need to take the personal responsibility and get, uh, you know, get informed as to what the options are.
What are some tips that you have? You've touched a bit, but if you're calling up, you get your list of care coordinators from the ADRC. Um, you've said that you work with people throughout the state. And so I'm going to make a jump to say that you can call anyone in the state and see if they would work with you in your region. Is that fair? Yes, um, the ADRC generally has, you know, if you're living in Nome, you're going to have a different list, obviously, than someone who's living in Southeast. Um, but the ADRCs will have the list for the care, the updated list for the care coordinators that serve that area because they work with them on a frequent basis. But yeah, I think it's really, you know, at the end of the day, it boils down to relationship. You know, you call somebody and you, you kind of get a vibe for the kind of person they are. And, um, you know, if they're going to be able to help you you kind of tell them your story and, and see, you know, how engaged they sound. And if it sounds like they're going to be, you know, a butt kicker is what I say. Because <laughs> um, that's really what you want is somebody on your team that's going to fight for you. And that's, and that's what a good care coordinator does is, is helps with that advocacy role. What, other than listening to this, I'm sure, what do you wish that potential clients knew or clients before they called your office? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I just wish, I just want people to know that there are options out there and that there is hope at the end of the day, because sometimes the situations that people get thrown into are very overwhelming. And sometimes that's just our job to listen to somebody and say, yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. And, you know, these are the five things that I would do if I were in your shoes. So I think at the end of the day, just know that there is hope out there and um, and that, and that there are help, there are agencies that will help. And, and there are people that, uh, that are just as passionate, if not more than me, that want to keep elders in our home communities. And that's a good, uh, segue. I wanted to ask some more, uh, specific to you, Heidi, how did you start getting involved uh, in, how did you decide to start Island Care Services? Well, um, that's a good question. Uh, I was raised by my grandmother and I think, so I think having that early on influence of an elderly person that was kind of my guiding, uh, that helped me with my guiding principles and, and really, uh, just always involved in a, you know, community events. I was a girl scout. I, I remember being uh, a little girl and going and singing at the nursing homes at Christmas times and really just growing up with that heart for helping other people. And that was instilled, instilled in me as important from a young age. And it's something that I really enjoy about my life, helping and volunteering. And I find a lot of value in that. And, um, and I just think treating people the way I want to be treated, you know, I hope that when I'm 75 or 90, 95, maybe, no, that there's a kick butt care coordinator that will help me um, to, to live out my wishes and to be, uh, you know, as independent as I want. Um, one of the things that attracts me about Alaska is I just love the ingenuity of the Alaskan people. Like, there's nowhere else on earth where you just see people that be like, well, I just see this bare piece of land. I'm going to cut all these trees down, build myself a cabin and be completely self-sustaining and self-sufficient. Like, I just love that MacGyver type of ingenuity for people that are like, yeah, I can do it. No problem. You know, like everything to an Alaskan is no problem. You know, so I love that. I love that independent spirit. And I want to support that in the people that I serve. And I think at the end of the day, like if you're not helping other people, like what are you doing? Like, what is your purpose? So 
Um, that's for me, the personal reason why I became a care coordinator also because I was going to go to school to become an occupational therapist and it was so expensive. I didn't have the money and I didn't want to, um, borrow a bunch of more money to become an OT. I did get accepted to a graduate program, but I was like, it's just too expensive at the end of the day. So that would have been a good, that would have been a good plan too, but I, it's worked out good and I'm very happy with, you know, what I'm able to do and the people that I'm able to serve. And, uh, I don't know. I think, I think our company makes a difference and that's what I think I'm most happy about. It was great. You sound very passionate, which is so important with the work that you It really is. It really is. I always ask guests, and I feel like this question often falls flat on its face. So I'll have to, to find, find the niche in it, but this podcast is about life transitions. Oftentimes I interview guests and our conversation is, is very much about a life transition, like applying for a Medicaid waiver. But in your own life from personal experience, whether it's remotely related to Medicaid waiver, the work you do now, or something completely different, do you have a tip for someone navigating a specific life transition? Um, you know, I think... I think it takes a village is my motto for life transition. I think life is always about change. And um, unfortunately, sometimes that's sucky because we as human beings don't like to be pushed out of our comfort zones. But change and pushing us out of our comfort zones is what causes us to grow. So I think don't be afraid to ask for help and remember that it takes a village. Like there is you know, all of these small remote, like I live in a village of 80 people right now. I live on Prince of Wales Island and, you know, everybody would help everybody else in this community. If, if the person's asked, you know, or, or sometimes they don't even ask people just show up and they're like, Oh, I heard you're building the shop. I'm, I'm here to help. You know, like people, they want to be helpful. And I think, um, I think the other thing I would say too, just is just is not really related to the question, but I think the biggest thing that is, crippling some of our elders is is that that they lose that sense of purpose as they age so keeping your loved one with a purpose every day is really important whether they're you know 18 or whether they're 80 like they need to have that driving force to keep them going so I had a question that I uh glossed over but if someone's helping a relative in another state, which is common, or it's also common that people look at the cost of long-term care here and look to move or move their relatives down south. And I don't think that care coordinators is a thing in every state. Do you know? I, I don't know if it's a thing in every state. I do know that it's starting to become more of a thing, like with doctor's offices, they'll have what's called case management now, which is a Medicare billable service. And it's different than what we do. But um, a lot of, uh, if, a lot of like down South, if you're looking to put someone in a nursing home or an assisted living facility, they have an intake specialist is what they're called. And they're there to kind of do the same things that we do. Although, you know, I think one of the beauties of care coordination is we are independent. So we can go into an assisted living home and say, hey, I'm noticing that this person, you know, they, their shirt looks dirty and it doesn't look like their hair has been brushed. Like, and we would report that. Like we're an independent kind of checks and balances as far as we don't work for the state. We don't work for um, the agency providing the services and we don't work for the assisted living home. So we're kind of really a neutral party that's there to advocate for the client. Who do you report to? 
Report. Um, like, who would you report if something's some things not getting done regularly? Uh, well, you know, if it was something we felt like could be um, handled, we would call a team meeting. I always think it's best to address it with the team. So I would address it with whoever the service provider is or the assisted living home, the family, the client, you know, always involve the client and then get to the bottom of it. Okay, well, the client, you know, she refused her shower that morning. That's why she looked like she hadn't had her hairbrush because she was fighting the staff that was trying to do it. You know, we don't don't jump to conclusions, but we really do. Yeah. Yeah. I, but we, yeah, but we really want to, you know, get, get to the root of the answer. And then if it's something where we suspect neglect or abuse, we we're mandated reporters, we report it to adult protective services or OCS. I mentioned having family and assisted living home. It's not in the state and it's relatively new, but yeah, there's, I, yeah, I have to be an advocate, which of course that makes sense, but some things are not getting done. So that was a personal. Question. Yeah. So that, that is a, you know, I think it's good to have, to ask for a team meeting and to say, these are my concerns. What is the plan for improvement? And then, and then revisit it and follow up. And if it doesn't get improved, then look at the placement change. How do people contact you in Island Care? Center? Oh, that's a great question. Um, 907-254-2904 is my cell and my office line is 907-629-629. Four one four zero, and we do have a website um, that is islandcareservicesllc.com. It has all of our information um, on there, and you can email, send a fax, call, send a carrier pigeon, send a golden retriever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you definitely do not need any more dogs. Um, but yeah, we're here to help. Um, we work eight to five, Monday through Friday. Um, you know, if there's an emergency, sometimes we'll answer on the weekends, but um, generally just happy to help people and happy to be here to serve, serve others. So call us anytime. Great. And we will link to your website. Okay, and just make sure you use the one that says islandcareservicesllc.com because we had a previous one and I can't get rid of it. So sorry. No. All right. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Heidi. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great day, Liz. That's all for this week. You can find show notes for this show and prior episodes and future episodes at lizsmithlaw.com. And if you're interested in scheduling a meeting with us to find out what your next step would be for your estate planning, visit us at bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Again, that's bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Or find the link at lizsmithlaw.com. We look forward to seeing you again right here, same place, same time, two weeks from now. Thank you so much.